0: Welcome to another edition of the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dylan thomas uh, Today we're going to talk about the mere exposure effect, and uh, the gist of it is that the more you see something, the more you like it. Um, and uh, if you haven't seen something before, you start out not really liking it. Um, but if I show it to you enough times, or you're around it enough, you'll start to think it's okay. Um, and the basic idea is that the new is scarier than the familiar. Um... And a a good example of this is an experiment where you show a bunch of Chinese characters to somebody who does not speak Chinese. They don't know what these characters mean. And uh, you show them a bunch of characters. Some you show more than others. And then you show, uh, you say, I'm gonna show you some Chinese characters now. And they're all adjectives, right? They all have either a positive or negative association. I want you to guess which ones are positive and which ones are negative, right? And so I show you a bunch of Chinese characters, and some of them you've seen before, right? They were in that first set I showed you. But some of them you've never seen, and the ones you've never seen, you're more likely to rate as negative than the ones you've seen before. Um, And that's not because you know what they mean, that's not because there's something about the way they're shaped that seems more positive or negative, it's just you've seen them before. I could do the same experiment and switch out the negative ones for the positive ones and show you the ones you thought were negative, right? Show them to you more, like, you know, uh, fresh eyes, and you would rate those, right, to be more positive just because you've seen them before, they're familiar, that familiarity alone. makes you like them better, makes you think they're more positive, right? Um, So this, you know, has like, all sorts of implications. And you can take it as far as one experiment where uh, this professor had someone basically dressed in a big black bag, and all you could see was their feet. And they walked in one day and just sat in the back of the class, right? And over time, right, at first, the students' reactions were, like, hostile and, like, fearful. But by the end of the class, you know, it was sort of like, oh, it's fine. Like, their, their, their um, emotions were, were more positive. And it was basically like, oh, it's just familiarity now. It's like it starts out, what the hell's going on? And by the end, it's like, oh, that's just bad guy. You don't have to worry about him, right? And there's, you know, a kind of obvious evolutionary basis for this, right? You know, if you are hunter-gatherer, if you are, you know, wandering around and you see something new, you don't know what it is, you don't know whether or not it's a threat, Right. And the longer it goes without killing you, (laughs) the more likely it's not a threat to the point where it's like, Oh, okay, it's not a threat anymore. I don't have to worry about it. So that's one reason why, you know, the more familiar it is, the less, you know, likely you are to to treat it with hostility. But the other thing is uh, this concept of uh, perceptual fluency, right? It's, you know, how hard is it to think about a thing? So if it's new, I don't know what it is. I don't know why it's there. I have to do a lot of thinking. I have to do a lot of threat assessment. Like that's a big cognitive load. Um, If after a while if I've seen it enough times there's certain things about it, right? Oh, that's bad guy Oh, he always sits in the back of the class. Oh, there's certain characteristics that are predictable about it I don't and it never ever hurts me or anyone fine It's I I know how to think about it now I I don't have to put as much work into it. So now I like it more, right? I like things I don't have to think about. That's just how we are Um, So the person you see as you walk down the street every day, you don't know who they are versus the complete stranger who you see once right you don't know either of those people any better, but the one you see every day, you like better because that person never attacked you. Like, from an evolutionary perspective, that's how, you know, the the um, uh, the the bias is working. Um, the amazing thing about this is it works even in, like, chickens. So you can play a tone for um, chickens before they hatch and then not play it for other chickens before they hatch. And after they hatch, the ones who heard it um, in utero, as it were, um like it better. Right. They like it better than the ones who never heard it before. Um, so this is clearly just a like primal, right. Kind of bias. And to that point, like they've shown that this works well if like I show you like an image of, I don't know, like an octagon, but it's flashing on the screen really quick. Right. And you don't even, you may not even know you saw it, right. It's almost like subconscious. It works even better, right? The whole, like, and then I show you the octagon later, you suddenly like it more than you like the other shapes I show you, right? It works really well subconsciously, which is kind of scary, right? Because it gets into that whole subliminal messaging thing that was, you know, kind of a craze in the the, the 80s or so, where there's this notion that, oh, people are sending you messages. It turns out, like, eh, practically speaking, it's actually very hard to get that to work in anything but a laboratory setting, to actually send you an image that you didn't know you saw like that, so those fears are a little unfounded, but if you can do it, it does actually work pretty well. Um, I wonder sometimes if this is why we go see movies with stars or with actors that we know. Like, I could tell you two different movies, they have the exact same plot, but one is has this cast of people you're familiar with, and the other one is a bunch of people you've never heard of before. Like, odds are you may want to gravitate toward the one that you... Um, you know, who the actors are just because that familiarity, right? I mean, in principle, it shouldn't matter because they're playing completely different characters. It's nothing to do with the characters. It's just, that's a familiar face. Um, I also wonder if this is how things like, you know, acceptance of, um, uh, communities that have been ostracized and that, you know, changes over time, if that comes with familiarity. So there's that famous story of, um, of uh, Joe Biden saying that he's, his views on uh, gay marriage had evolved in part because of Will and Grace, right? And is that simply a question of because he watched Will and Grace over and over and over and over and over, it suddenly became, oh, this isn't some weird thing. This is something I'm familiar with. The notion of gayness is now something that I am familiar with, and I, I know it's not scary anymore. I know it's not going to kill me. It's okay now. Um, it's a nice thought in principle. In point of fact, what they've found is that if you already have an opinion about a group— and you spend more time with that group, it's entirely possible that your hostilities will actually increase, right? And that may, that may go back to the backfire effect and some of the other things we talked about where once you've made up your mind about something, it's really, really, really hard for you to change your mind about that something. So I think that one's still still out to, uh joy's still out on that one. Um, what's really interesting about this, it isn't even a matter of associating positive feelings with things that are familiar. It kind of works in reverse too, right? So if I show you a bunch of, symbols that you've seen before, right, and ask you how you feel after versus showing you a bunch of symbols you've never seen before and asking you how you feel after, you'll feel better if, you've, if I showed you the ones you're familiar with, right? So familiar surroundings, like all of that stuff actually makes you feel better in general, right, if I'm just showing you things you're familiar with. Um, and it happens really fast. That's one of the things that they kind of zeroed in on when they studied this is this notion that cognition, right, thinking about things, and affect, right, feeling things. Are completely separate, right? And we've kind of visited this before, but this was one of the um, experiments, one of the biases where they really kind of doubled down on making that distinction. And it turns out it's even just different parts of the brain, right? Like the the amygdala versus the hippocampus, right? Where if you find that there is damage to the amygdala, your affect, your your ability to feel things is affected, but your ability to think is perfectly fine. On the other hand, if I damage your hippocampus, um, you'll still be able to feel, but you're gonna have a hard time thinking. So, Clearly, to some extent, these are divorced, even physically, within the brain. Um, and uh, Robert Zajonk, I'm probably pronouncing that completely wrong, but Z-A-J-O-N-C, if you ever want to look him up, um, he sort of, like, talked a lot about this. He, he did a lot of the early work in the 60s in in, um, uh, in, this, in this bias, and he kind of came to a couple conclusions, right? And then there's, um, there's a couple quotes from the Wikipedia article about this, which I think are priceless, right? So one of them is um, uh, there has been—and this is just from the article. I don't know that he said this exactly, but but there has been no empirical proof that cognition precedes any form of decision-making, right? You do not—we have no reason to believe that people think before they decide, right? Even though that sort of, like, seems like a natural— belief to have, if you actually look for evidence that this is how we decide things, you simply won't find it, right? Um, Which is kind of frustrating, but if you look at recent political events or just life in general, right? (laughs) You find that, you know what, that's probably more true, right? If you look at human behavior, that actually is more likely that we don't think before we decide, right? And then another uh, quote from that article is that we make judgments first and then seek to justify those judgments by rationalization, right? You make a decision based on a feeling, right? Liking something, liking something and deciding something are kind of the same thing um, in our minds. So you make a decision and then after you make the decision, almost so fast that you don't realize you're doing it, you rationalize that this is why I made that decision, right? That's actually how we think about things. And I talk about this a lot when I teach uh, content strategy, and I talk about the importance of trying to hone in on emotion when you're building a content strategy, like what is the feeling you want the audience to feel after they have, you know, read your content or consumed your, your, or gone through this experience that you're creating. So this is a, a design thing too. Um, what is that emotion? Like where, what emotion are they starting with and what emotion do you want them to get to? And I think this is really, really important because they're not going to make the buying decision or the, I want to donate blood decision or whatever the decision is that you want them to consider, um, without emotion. Like emotion is actually how they're going to make that decision. So until they arrive at the emotion that you want them to have, they're not going to make the decision you want them to make. Um, so, uh, so this is backed by science, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, But, uh, but yeah, and if you think about advertising, so that kind of leads naturally to advertising. And what's interesting about it is when it comes to advertising, the evidence is a little contradictory, right? So there's that whole thing of if you see something 20 times, like that's how many times you need to see it before you buy it or whatever. And there's a great sort of delineation of what happens each time you see it. But um, like to the point where somewhere in the middle, you hit this begrudging respect thing of, oh, if they can afford to put out this many advertisements, they must be doing something right, even though I'm really getting annoyed by these advertisements. But the whole familiarity thing, basically what they found is there is a peak, right? You can show something once, I don't know what this is, but you show it a few more times, okay, I start to like it. But if you go too far, it starts to reverse itself, and it's like, okay, now I'm sick of it, right? If you think about a song that you like, like uh, the first few times you hear it, it's okay, and then the more you hear it, you like it, and then suddenly you hear it too many times, you're like, I hate this song now. Um, that can happen with advertising and they haven't really been able to figure out, is there a peak number of times you can see the advertisement or the product be advertised before you don't like it anymore? Is it, you know, what they have sort of concluded is that that principle works better when it's something new right? If I've never seen it before, you want to show it to me a few times to get me to like it. That more or less holds and that that tracks, right? Because the whole notion is if I've never seen it before, I'm going to be scared of it. If I see it a few times and it's easier for me to think about, I'm going to like it more. Um, If it's a product like Coke, which, you know, I already know what this thing is and I've already decided how I feel about it, showing it to me more times isn't really going to help, right? So it's, again, for that particular use case, the jury is still kind of out. Um, What I do wonder is, like, when this comes to, like, really serious decisions, like, who to vote for, like, I sometimes wonder if Trump had been just as boisterous and rude and lewd and anti-establishment as he had been, um, but had never been on television, right, had never been in our homes, like, night after night after night, right, like, if we didn't have that level of familiarity, would he still have won or would he still have done as well, right? Um, and I think sort of the use case there might be Bernie Sanders, right? Like Bernie Sanders was pretty anti-authoritarian and pretty, pretty anti-establishment. And that was kind of, in in a similar way was kind of his brand, not the lewd and crude part, but the sort of like, you know, we're going to shake things up, but he hadn't been on TV for, you know, <laughs> 20 years prior to that, you know, sort of building that brand and building that familiarity. Uh, and again, I'm sure it's much more complex than that. because um, Hillary, on the other hand, everyone knew who she was, right? Like, but... Had she, you know, been on TV any less than Trump, probably, I don't know. But uh, basically what I'm saying is I'd love to go back and do sort of like a familiarity scale, if you will, and see if, generally speaking, we do vote more for the people that we've seen more. Um, so anyway, uh, a lot of food for thought. But the, the, the one piece of advice I would give you, um, and this is coming in part from, uh, like I said, I'm finally getting into... Um, I'm listening to the, the audiobook book for uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, which is like the Bible of cognitive bias. And um, one of the kind of recurring themes, and this comes up too when you research mere exposure effect, is that if you make a decision, in this case what to like and what not to like, ask yourself why you made that decision, right? Investigate your choices. Um, and this comes up in other cognitive biases, right? Because these things happen so fast you don't think about them actually think about them, right? Sit down and say, okay, I made the decision. Why did I make that decision? And if I saw someone else make that decision, why would I assume they made that decision? And is it the same reason, right? Like try to explore why you did something and don't just sort of accept that you did it and don't sort of accept the rationalization you've come up with on your own, like actually, like without thinking about it, like actually think about it. Um, so actually think that's, I guess the the moral of the story, think anyway. Um, That is uh, all for uh, this week. Uh, This is the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dolan Thomas, and I will see you next time.